So lately, Joyce and I have been contemplating when we might next fly uh, on a plane somewhere, uh, especially as we wait to find out when Caleb will be eligible to, to get vaccinated. And so all of this discussion had me thinking about past trips on a plane and my best experiences. Of all of the airlines that I've flown, one of my favorites, if not my most favorite, uh, is Korean Air, Korean Airlines. Um, they have great flight crews, good food, uh, that's a big one, uh, nice planes, and uh, in my experience, they just kind of feel like a cut above the rest. And most importantly, their flight record over the last 20 years is impeccable. Of course, that really matters. But did you know that there was a time at the end of the 1990s that Korean Air had more plane crashes than almost any other airline in the world. But the reason for the crashes wasn't due to old planes or poor pilot training. It all came down to broken communication. Typically, planes are meant to be flown by two pilots so that if there's a case of pilot error, the other pilot can correct the mistake. In Korean Air's case, there was just one problem. Their co-pilots were following the cultural practice of hierarchy, and so they wouldn't correct their elders or sup and superiors. And since the co-pilots for Korean Air flights were almost always junior or inferior, when mistakes were made, co-pilots wouldn't communicate to correct the error. But possibly, even if they had, the lead pilot not being accustomed to correction, might have ignored the co-pilots and continued on anyways. They were literally flying themselves to their deaths and taking a bunch of other people along with them, all for the sake of the lack of communication. Communication is meant to open our eyes to information that we need. Uh, like a shining light, it helps us to see. It's probably why someone who is unaware of something or doesn't understand something is said to be what? In the dark. The problem with communication, as everyone finds, is that it depends on a lot of factors in order to effectively do it. And not the least among these factors is the willingness to listen to the other. Our passage this week, as we continue our journey through John's Gospel account of Jesus, we come to chapter 8, starting in verse 12, and we find Jesus confronted with a communication problem of his own. People who are in the dark, but who stubbornly insist that they are in the light, that they are in the know, and chief among these people are the Jewish authorities. So Jesus addresses them directly, in their blind darkness, saying in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is seeking to communicate the shining light of truth, and as a result, to draw people out of their darkness, out of their blindness, and yet the Jewish authorities refuse to listen. For what they see in Jesus is a man who by age and by status is a nobody that has veered out of his lane and needs to be put back into his place. 
And yet Jesus makes it clear why the Jewish authorities and all who do not believe in him are unable to recognize him. In verse 19, he says, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And when Jesus again declares in verse 21, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. When Jesus declares this, they once again misunderstand, misinterpret Jesus' statements as they once again, as Jesus puts it, judge things according to the flesh. What Jesus is saying here about uh, his only being with them for a short while is not new. It's not the first time. In fact, he has said it before, and every time it's misunderstood. Because they judge, as Jesus accuses the Jews of, of viewing everything from a superficial fleshy standpoint not from a deeper standpoint not from a heavenly perspective and so turning to address his true disciples jesus declares a promise if you abide in my word then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free this is the reason it's directed toward his true disciples because those who abide in his word are obviously going to be true disciples and for them, they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. So the question that I want to ask this morning of our passage that our passage will answer is, what is the truth that Jesus is revealing to set people free? We look in verse 31, and there's three things to answering this question that I'll lay out from our passage. And the first of these is that humanity is a slave to sin. Humanity is a slave to sin. Verse 31, They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Here Jesus is saying that you're slaves, and you're slaves to sin. And if you've sinned, if you are a sinner, then you are a slave to sin. To this, the, the Jews that are gathered there, especially the Jewish authority, respond back. Hey, we're children of Abraham. We haven't been a slave to anybody. If you're a student of Israel's history, you know that's not even close to the truth. Especially given the fact of their greatest hero, Moses. He was their leader during their exodus out of slavery into freedom out of slavery into the promised land. And yet these leaders, these Jewish authorities, these people who are the teachers of the law and the priests and the Pharisees declare, we've never been a slave to anybody. It's a total lie. It's interesting how people can revise reality to fit their own created narrative. Haven't you come across uh, situations or people, circumstances? Maybe you've even lived it where you've bought into your own narrative, 
It's not true. You've tweaked, twisted, or maybe you've even you know, laid out a complete fabrication. But in a moment of convenience, isn't it interesting how easy it is for us as human beings to change the facts, to change the truth, to fit a convenient moment, right? White lies are things that we tell uh, in a moment of convenience when you don't want to necessarily share the complete truth. So you offer maybe a partial truth, or maybe you offer a, you know, a complete lie, but it's small because it fits the moment. But here, Jesus knows, and everyone knows that Israel has been a nation of people who have been constantly conquered in their history. And the biggest case was when they were enslaved in Egypt. And Jesus says to them, if you are a sinner, if you sin, you are a slave to sin. You know, we think of freedom often as this ability to do whatever you want, right? If you're truly free, you can do whatever you want. No limitations, right? If you're truly free, you don't have to be bogged down by a job. If you're truly free, you don't have to be bogged down by a lack of funds. If you're truly free, you have all the time in the world. If you're truly free, then you can do whatever you want, right? That's how we generally define freedom. Would you say no one can tell you what to do? And no matter how much we can define freedom that way, no matter how much you are master of your own finances, master of your own schedule, master of your own time, master of your own surroundings, no matter who you are, and even if you have all of that, Every human being is still a slave. Because every human being still ends up doing whatever their heart desires, and that heart's desire always is bent toward sinfulness. The freedom to do sin and not stop it is not freedom at all. Have you ever tried not to commit certain kinds of sins because there's a certain sin maybe in your life that has a certain foothold and you've tried not to do it and yet you find yourself committing that sin again right when you don't want to do something and yet you are compelled feeling compelled to do it a power there's a power over you that makes you do it that's not freedom that's sin that's slavery and yet in this world, how many people do we know who, th- who, who go on sinning and think that they're free? That they think that to be under the grace of God and under the command and will of God, that that's, the, that's slavery. That that is bondage. It's not bondage. When you can do that which you couldn't otherwise do, when you've been set free from something that has a hold of you and you can do something that you couldn't do before, that's freedom. When you're only doing that which you always are enslaved to do, you can't seem to do anything about it, that's slavery. And that's the point Jesus is making here. It's a reevaluation of what it means to be free versus in bondage. Talked about this last week, how we talk about legalism in the church and as it relates to God's commands. And often when we say don't be legalistic, you know, it's an out to sin more to be lazy, to be less than what God desires us to be and to be less than a follower of Jesus. When in reality, the law is supposed to point us to where we get real freedom. But we only see it because the law points out to us the fact that we're enslaved. Because we can't keep the law even when we try. We bend it, 
and then we break it as we say rules were made to be broken. So to this, then Jesus continues, and we look at this in continuation and answer to the question, what is the truth that Jesus is revealing that will set people free? The first is that humanity is a slave to sin. And by the way, the consequence of sin is death. Through sin, death came into the world. The second truth that we need to be aware of that will lead to freedom that Jesus makes us aware of is the reality of likeness. The reality of likeness reveals one's true ancestry. In verses 39 to 47, Jesus goes into this. 39 to 47, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. Hold on to that, by the way. They would be doing what Abraham did. What is the thing that Abraham did? Hold on to that. But Jesus says, If you were children of Abraham, you would be doing what he did. Verse 40, But now you seek to kill me. Clearly, whatever they're doing now uh, in trying to kill Jesus is contrary to what Abraham did. You now seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Then the implication is Abraham heard the truth and he listened to it. Verse 41, you are doing what your father did. Who's their father? He's saying that Abraham's not their father, so who is their father? And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father even God. They respond by saying, hey, we, we are a pure people. Uh, later on, they'll, uh, in verse 48, you'll see that they'll accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan with a demon. In other words, that he's not really a Jew. And they're saying, we're true Jews. Not like those Samaritans to the north of us who intermingled and married and perverted the faith. No, we're true Jews. And Jesus responds and said to them in verse 42, if God were your father... You would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father. Who is their father? Verse 44, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Uh, He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is a reiteration of what Jesus already laid out in the previous section, in the last week's passage. But he goes into it more clearly. He says, you resemble your father. He's talking about spiritually speaking. And that's true. You notice how so many physical things, earthly things, have a meaning for spiritual things? I look at Caleb, and from the moment he was born, we were trying to determine who he looks more like. We looked at him, and right away I was like, oh, he is a dead ringer for me when I was that age. It is eerie, like twins. 
as he has grown, he's maybe, I think, started to take on some of his mom's, mom's characteristics. And depending on you know what angle you look at him, he'll resemble one of us. But that's a physical truth, right? Our children look like us. Part of their DNA. They can't help but look like us. Because that's who they are. Jesus is saying, look, when I look at all the things that you're doing, consider all the way that you've responded to me. You're trying to kill me, and even when I speak the truth, you reject to see it. You can't help but do that because of why? Satan is your father. Spiritually speaking, the devil is your father. If Abraham was your father, you would have responded with receiving the truth. You would have believed, but you don't. And all of your works and all of your lies and all of your fabrications demonstrate that he is your father because this is what the devil has done and this is what you're doing. What a That's a scathing remark if you think about it, right? The devil is your father. I mean, that cuts deep. Because it's to say that at the core of who you are, you are absolutely corrupt. And you can't help being corrupt, apparently. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look at who we are. And so often as human beings, you know, we, we say, well, we're naturally good. You know, I think because we're born in the image of God, there is goodness there. But you know, because we are sinners, what I also know is true is that we are inherently broken. We are inherently sinners. There is an inherent darkness to us. We cannot escape just by simply trying to ignore it. Yeah, God created us and therefore there is goodness there because he created us in his image. That's true. So for all of the goodness we see in one another, even when we're not followers of Jesus, that's why. But when we look at human beings, there is this inherent darkness that is there too. A desire to break things, to destroy things, to tell deceptions and untruths. Social media seems to be the perfect projection and avatar of this, right? When is social media actually a deliverer of reality? I'm talking about even in the perception that people, one person gives to their social circle. People only put up the picture that they want others to see. And it's never the reality. It's what they want others to see of them. Jesus is saying, those of God hears God's words, and those who are not, don't. That is a measure by which every human being should reflect upon themselves. Do I hear God's word? And do I believe God's words are true? Or do I push my own narrative of who I say I am when God says I'm a sinner, that I say I don't need God because I'm not really a sinner? That when God says I am in need of a Savior, that I say I don't need salvation because I'm not in need of any kind of saving. And when God says I'm here to be your God, that we can as human beings push a narrative that says I don't need a God because I already have me. It's a measure by which we can examine. But this is a truth that Jesus lays out. Both of these truths are important for us, all of Jesus' disciples, the rest of the world, to hear and to understand. Humanity is a slave to sin. Humanity is a big thing. And sometimes we have a tendency to say, well, that's everybody else, but not me. Right? Kind of in the way, oh, those kinds of things happen to other people until it happens to us. And then we say, why me? How could this happen to me? Second point, the reality of likeness reveals one's true ancestry. And that's something for each of us to consider as Jesus lays it out. And the third is this. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's original promise to Abraham. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of God's original promise to Abraham. Look in verse 48. And the Jews answered uh, Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? When they have nothing else to say, they push a narrative of falsehood and lies that they know is inaccurate, but proving once again that Jesus' words are true. Do you notice that in their response, they prove every word that Jesus says? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? They think they've got Jesus in a trap now because how could he possibly claim that he is greater than any of these? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. God's promise to Abraham, found in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, concludes after a series of promises to make Abraham a, the father of nations, to make him the father of a great nation, God goes on to say in verse 3, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And nobody truly understood what that meant. But Abraham understood this much, which was that the fulfillment of the promise of God to him, that it would happen through him. He knew that. He understood that. And because he received that promise from God, he took it as truth and believed. And his entire life was a life of faith. Which, by the way, faith. Not because God proved a bunch of stuff beforehand and said, you see, here's the proof. God spoke, and that was the only proof that Abraham needed, and then he proceeded to go. And then along the way, God demonstrates his faithfulness, that he's true. But he believed. The Jews, upon hearing Jesus, they accuse him of having a demon. They accuse him of being uh, not a true Jew. And in all of that, they say, we know that you're not who you say you are. And Jesus says, it's interesting that you say that I'm not who I say I am when the Father, the one that you call God, is the one who validates my identity. You know, unsurprisingly, the Jews do not understand the significance of what Jesus was demonstrating, what he was explaining once again. Because why? As being part of the world, even when Jesus says, look beyond the fleshy, they just can't do it. God's promise of blessing to Abraham 
is a special one because it's a promise that God was literally fulfilling himself. And what I mean by that is there are many promises of God that are fulfilled through intermediaries, you know, by that God uses other people to do it. You understand? This happens frequently. God makes a promise and he uses other people to accomplish his promise, fulfill his promise. However, to Abraham, his promise to Abraham was unique in this sense, that God made that promise to him and then God himself physically, literally fulfilled it. And so that's why Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. What is he saying? Before Abraham was born, before he was a glimmer in existence, I was. I am. Meaning, as John puts it in chapter 1, that he was there in the beginning. It's clear as clear can be what Jesus is now saying. And you know how you know they understood? Because their reaction says it all. What do they do? Their response after hearing Jesus say, before Abraham was, I am, was to look for stones, to pick up stones to kill him. Because when somebody says that they are God and they're not, that's called blasphemy. And they would kill people like that. But even in this, Jesus could not be killed, even though there's this huge crowd. And why? As it is stated throughout John's gospel again and again, it was not yet Jesus' hour. His hour to die was coming, it just wasn't yet then. For whatever confusion the Jews had, Jesus crystallized it by declaring who he is. And that's the truth that he's speaking to. He speaks to, Jesus does, the reality of who mankind is, who we each individually are, and then he declares who he is. He is the promise that brings a blessing to all the families of the world. That includes you. That includes you. You know, in a world where exclusion is often how we judge the value of something, right? Isn't that how we often judge the value of something by how exclusive it is? To take something precious and make it unavailable to the general population. To save it just for a few, right? And yet Jesus is the gift that has been made available to all. The blessing that has been made available to all. All the families of the world. This is the truth that Jesus came to reveal. That he himself is the truth. But let me now turn to asking each of you this question. Where do you stand? Who is Jesus to you? Because it is not enough to know information about him. It is a question as to whether you believe that he is true. That you believe in God's word. Jesus is that word. Do you believe in Jesus? Not just that, oh, he was a good teacher or he was a good individual because you can't stop there because either you believe that jesus is what he says he is which will lead you to he is god or if you say that he's not telling the truth then you could not possibly arrive at the conclusion that jesus is a good man because of the claims that he is making it disqualifies him from being a good man if you believe he's a liar can can we all understand that But for each of every one of us who have come to know and believe in Jesus, we know that he is true. And for each of you, then I would encourage you to be reminded of who and what you have in Jesus. Your hope, 
and the truth that defines who you are. Not the lies of the world, but the truth of God. To know the truth and to experience the reality that the truth, Jesus, will set you free. Amen? If you are not one who has come to faith in Jesus yet, then I ask you to reflect deeply, even as the Spirit of God convicts your heart. Because this is your time, this is your opportunity to respond. Because in life, I will say this, life is all about timing. Can I get affirmation to that, right? Life is all about timing. We always think that there will be another time. And the sad reality of it is, is that often people don't realize that that's not true until opportunities have come and gone. Life is all about timing. Today, as the gospel of Jesus Christ is laid out before you, I encourage you to respond to Jesus, to his word, and to respond to them with belief and faith because they are true. And ask anybody who has come to faith in Jesus and they'll affirm that that is true and that is so. And ask anybody who's come to faith in Jesus whose life has been transformed as it rightly should be and you will see that it is true. Even if our lives aren't perfect, day by day God is doing that work in us. Amen? So with that, let me invite you right now to a time of prayer. If you are already in Jesus, if you have come to faith in him, then I encourage you right now to take this opportunity to respond. Respond with a commitment to faithful obedience because you know he's true, because you know what he's called you to. And if you have not yet come to faith in Jesus, then this is your chance and your opportunity to offer up a prayer of faith. It's not very hard, but simply to offer a prayer of faith, confessing Jesus, confessing to him your faith in him, your commitment to the fact that he is your Lord and Savior and that he will be the one that defines your life. If you have not yet come to believe truly before this, then this is your time. Let me invite you to do that right now.